Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows and answer your question, should I watch this? My name is Me Too. And my name is BJ. And this week we're watching Dispatches from Elsewhere on AMC, Young Dylan on Nickelodeon, Hunters on Amazon Prime, Twenties on BET, and Dave on FXX. So stay tuned to find out if Me Too's going to pursue her dream of being a rapper. I've already done it. I've topped the charts. Don't worry about it. All right, Beej, let's start with Dispatches from Elsewhere. Can you give our listeners a little rundown of the premise of the show? This show sets us in Philadelphia, and we're following the character Peter, and he and some other people are living their ordinary lives when all of a sudden they discover there is a puzzle hiding right in front of them in their everyday lives. And so they're working together under the guidance of the Jejun Institute in order to solve some very mysterious mysteries. And we're going to find out where this takes Peter in his life. This show is actually co-created by Jason Siegel. He also directed the first episode. What were your first impressions? I really liked it. It was a little strange because our narrator just starts talking to you. But after that, you get a lot of relevant today meta conversation about people existing in their lives rather than living their lives. And you see that mundane day-to-day behavior that Peter's going through and how he can change that by taking a risk. And I thought that was a really cool way to introduce us to the show. What'd you think? I was unnerved by the narrator staring straight at you for 10 seconds at the start of the show before saying anything. But I think you needed to be knocked off kilter in order to properly jump into this world because he opens with Jason Siegel's Peter is you. And I love the fact that because you're in this hyper aware state after the narrator staring at you for that long, you then are ready to absorb the fact that Peter is me and you fully comprehend how mundane his life is. Because if you were just watching him go about his day, I think the inclination without that head start would be, ah, he's just living a regular day to day. It would be very boring if they didn't set you in the mindset of, imagine that Peter is you and you are Peter. They suggest some cool changes with that at the end of the episode as well. But our main mystery is all set behind the Jejun Institute and the Elsewhere Society. What did you think of that mystery that they put Peter and his friends into? So first, shout out to Richard Grant, who plays Octavio Coleman, the head of the Jejun Institute and the show's narrator. He's wonderfully off-putting in a way that is so good for the show. And for the theories, I'm torn. So as part of the game, you find other people and you group up. And the theory from Janice Foster, played by Sally Field, is that the game and everything in it is a hoax. Peter thinks it all might be real. Simone, played by Eve Lindley, thinks that this is some long corporate ad, which that's where I was leaning for a long time as well. And then Fredwin, played by Andre Benjamin, thinks that this is a government conspiracy. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I land. Part of me thinks it could be real. And another part of me might be somewhere between Simone and Fredwin. Is this a government conspiracy? Is this a corporate conspiracy rather than an ad? I'm not sure. But I really loved living in that unknown. What about you? I am somewhere between Simone's viewpoint and Janice's viewpoint in that I do think that 
it is being set up in a staged situation, but I'm not sure if this is some big advertising campaign or if it's a social experiment. So we both named Simone as people that we may agree with, and it might be because of Eve Lindley's wonderful performance on that show. How did you feel about the performances overall? I know we both stand Simone. But anyone else that you were into? Even Jason Segal as Peter. I think they all did a great job, especially because Peter had to play us or you, the viewer. And I think he brought you in with his naive viewpoint. Simone was fun with her whimsical free spirit viewpoint. And then Andre as Fredwin, he's the fun, quirky conspiracy theorist who's making you question all the weird things you see throughout the episode. So they all did a great job of bringing this world alive. One last shout out to Sally Field, who's the other member of that crew. She didn't have that much to go off of in this first episode, but you see some stuff brewing under the surface. And also because this is an anthology series, I believe we'll get to see an episode leading each of these characters. Yes, I think they hint we're going to switch things up at the end. So that could be fun to mix up the storyline because they do a lot of weird things from going into stores where stuff is free to dancing with Yetis or Bigfoot. So we'll see how they can keep this strange concept going as they look for Clara. That's also the goal, which we forgot to mention. Find Clara, the creator of Idea. Now it's time for us to find our rating for this show. Beach, what would you give AMC's Dispatches from Elsewhere? I would rate Dispatches from Elsewhere, would watch again seriously. Mm. This is a strange journey that Peter's going on, and he went from skeptical to all in, and that was literally my opinion of the show as I watched it. Fully agreed. Genuinely, Peter was me. I was not sure, but then I was all in. Fellow babies, there are a couple creepy moments, <laughs> but for the most part, it's not too too scary. It's really just unsettling in a great way. No violence or even jump scares, just occasionally disturbing moments. Okay, going to the other side of entertainment from occasionally disturbing to fun family comedy, we watched Nickelodeon's Young Dylan. This show stars Young Dylan, the rapper so often featured on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. He is sent by his grandma, played by Aloma Wright, to live with her son Miles, played by Martin's Carl Anthony Payne, and his family. His family consists of his straight-laced wife, Yasmin, who's played by Miko Hillman, and nerdy kids, Rebecca, played by Selena Smith, and Charlie, played by Hero Hunter, and his invisible best friend, played by a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) How did you feel about this first episode? The important question that I asked myself, and we always ask ourselves when watching children's shows, does this have a broader appeal that goes beyond a limited demographic? I thought there were some funny moments in this show, particularly with the grandmother and some of the interactions between the parents and Rebecca, the daughter. However, I will say this is a children's show through and through. And if you've seen a Nickelodeon show, you know what that means. What were your first impressions? 
I agree. One of the gags on the show is the parents and their kids, because they live in this suburban life and young Dylan is this city kid coming in, they can't understand a word that he says. Mm -hmm. And I know that Tyler Perry wrote the show in addition to co-creating it. So I can't tell if he is a 50-year-old Things that the slang terms that young Dylan used would be unknowable to that family because he used words like dope. He said phrases like, you feel me? And I actually think some of that predates even Tyler Perry's own youth. So maybe the target audience for this show is grandparents and grandbabies because I didn't get how that family didn't get what young Dylan was saying. They understood too little of what he was saying to be believable. They really stretched that concept as far as they could. It fully felt like J.J. Walker on Good Times. I thought young Dylan was going to say dynamite at any moment. It seemed like he could only talk in slang and catchphrases. Like in the seminal movie, Pop Star Never Stop Popping, the catchphrase verse... That's basically what young Dylan did throughout this entire episode. Also, if you haven't seen the movie Pop Star Never Stop Popping featuring The Lonely Island, couldn't more strongly recommend an underrated classic. Or just listen to the album. One thing that you said to me before we recorded was, is this show on the wrong network? This feels like a family sitcom rather than a kid's sitcom. I agree. Like it should be on a TBS. It has a broader appeal than just, I guess, 8 to 12 year olds. Because they're certainly younger than the language used. What was the highlight of this episode? The highlight of this episode for me was the casting. Aloma Wright, who plays the grandma, is a star. And then I was genuinely so excited to see Cole from Martin on this show, Carl Anthony Payne. He played such a goofball on Martin, and I thought it was a beautiful display of his range to play the buttoned-up, straight-laced son, because he truly is absurd on Martin, he and Big Shirley. I would say the daughter, Rebecca, was a standout to me. A good amount of sass and comedy. She played well against all the other cast members. That baby's comedic timing was very good. Yes, that's a perfect way to describe it. She had great timing with everyone. Okay, me too. Let's head into our ratings for Tyler Perry's Young Dylan on Nickelodeon. What would you rate it? I would rate this would watch with children. If you have nieces, nephews, kids of your own, you're babysitting, this would be fun to watch with them. I could see them laughing at the gags of the family not understanding Dylan, the physical comedy, but otherwise, I don't know that an adult would enjoy sitting down and watching this show by themselves. Based on our metrics, we know that the vast majority of our listeners are adults. So (laughs) this is something you would want to watch with children. So swinging back to the adult side of these family relationships and dynamics, let's head into Hunters on Amazon Prime. Hunters, created by David Weil and executive produced by, among others, Jordan Peele, is a show inspired by real-life Nazi hunters who tracked Nazis who escaped punishment after the war. The show is set in 1977 New York City, where we learn that Nazis are actually in a conspiracy to build a Fourth Reich in the U.S. The lead of the show, Jonah Heidelbaum, is played by Logan Lerman. 
His grandmother is murdered by one of those Nazis who are still existing. And so after that murder and in pursuit of avenging her murder, he meets Meyer Offerman, played by Al Pacino, who is a Jewish philanthropist, Holocaust survivor, and leader of the Hunters. So a big idea of this show is that we have a group of people in New York who are trying to right the wrongs of the Nazis, and they're doing this through murder. How do you feel about that approach? I loved that moral question in the show. Can you right wrongs by doing what are considered absolute wrongs, which is hurting and murdering people. Mm -hmm. And there have been lots of reviews on the show about whether this is a good topic to broach or not. But one thing that the show seems to do well is almost take stock of itself. We see the beginning of Logan and a character we'll meet later, FBI agent Millie Morris, played by Jerrica Hinton, starting to question the way of the world. And the use of murder as a tool to resolve over bringing people to quote unquote justice. So it was an interesting quandary to explore. And I think the writers and creators were smart to bring us into this question through Jonah wanting revenge for his grandmother, because we see the passion and emotion that's driving him before we find out about the Nazi plot and how it relates to his grandmother. And we see him struggling with people in his community trying to support him, his friends trying to support him, the police failing to support him. And so you watch him go in this direction of wanting to right the wrongs through murder. That's true. People in his community wouldn't even let him sit Shiva because technically he wasn't a direct nuclear member of his grandmother's family. So you're right. He went through all of these traditional routes through the communities that he knows and through the justice systems that he knows, and he didn't see anything helpful come from that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Jonah, how did you feel about the performances of the show? I thought Jonah did a great job. Uh, We see a lot of him going through this story as we dive into all the other characters. And I think he had a good opportunity of showing his range as an actor from scenes with frustration and anger to emotional breakdowns. He did a great job and really made it believable. That's something we've talked about in other reviews of shows is when the relationships that the characters have seem real, it draws you into the shows. And his interactions with everyone, with his friends, with his grandmother, they all felt real. And I like seeing that. I'm excited to see his relationships develop with both Agent Millie Morris and with Meyer Offerman because he vibed with both of those actors, Al Pacino and Jerrica Hinton, very well. Yeah, so that brings up a question. We have Agent Morris with the FBI. He's doing an investigation on some murders parallel to Jonah investigating his grandmother's murder. How do you see all of these storylines coming together? In a really messy way. (laughs) Not as a condemnation of the show, just that it's inherently a messy concept. So I think it's just going to feel chaotic, intentionally so. Too much chaos or an entertaining amount of chaos? So far, entertaining. Okay. What about you? I agree. I think it will be a lot to process, but so far they're doing a good job and I think they'll keep it up. And they've introduced a ton of characters and several distinct storylines. Even in that quick world building, I feel like I'm caught up on everything. It helps that it was a feature length first episode, (laughs) but it's still a lot of ground to cover. And with that, actually, I should say a special shout out to Dylan Baker, who plays Biff Simpson, an undersecretary of state in the Carter administration and secretly a Nazi. He has a chilling opening scene that is 
so good. They really set the tone with that. But what you said is important for our listeners to know. The first episode is an hour and a half, and subsequent episodes are one hour. Not a 42-minute show, but one full hour. So be prepared for a time investment if you do want to watch this. And the last thing I'll say in the show is I would recommend checking out a review by a writer named Carly Verlacci. And she talks about the show from the perspective of being a Jewish American. And she said that this show felt like black exploitation, but for Jewish folks, so like Jew exploitation, because it leans on stereotypes in order to convey the story, but also felt for her as a viewer empowering. It had stirring images. It has this celebration of your culture and fighting back. And that's often how I feel when I see really good black exploitation movies. For example, The Latest Shaft, the remake was really, really good. That was a helpful review for me in grounding me when watching this show because I only wanted to read reviews by Jewish people. I think it is important to consider when they lean so heavily into the Jewish nature of the storyline to ask the question, are they exploiting this or are they doing justice to a group that doesn't get equal representation on TV as some other groups? All right, Beach, what would you rate Hunters on Amazon Prime? I would watch this again casually. Part of that is due to the length, but I really do like the mystery they set up. The relationship between Jonah and Meyer is developing in an interesting direction where not quite the nice mentor, and I want to see where that goes. And even the Nazi side, they have some like strange dynamics that I want to see more of. Oh, for sure. I would also, because of the long episodes, hold off on watching this seriously right now. I think I'm going to binge it this summer when other shows go off the air so that I have real time to dedicate to it. But I'm very excited to see how this story develops. We didn't get to talk about her as much, but Agent Millie Morris is the agent who stumbles upon this plan to build the Fourth Reich. And I'm excited to see her investigation because she's really opening up quite a few Pandora's boxes right now. Let's head to a completely different show, 20s on BET. Do you want to break it down for our listeners? Hattie, played by Jonica T. Gibbs, is our lead, living the messy 20s of show creator Lena Waithe. She is evicted from her apartment in the opening scene and can't rely on her girl of the moment, Lorraine, played by Sharia Irving. She's navigating her messy life with her two best friends who actually seem to have their lives way better together than she does. One is a yoga instructor slash inspiring actor, Nia, played by Gabrielle Graham. And the other is a junior studio executive, Marie, played by Christina Elmore. And special shout out to her mama, who is played by Kim Whitley, who was also incredible in Lena Waithe's Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. So a fun fact that you pointed out to me after we watched that I was unaware of is that this is based off of a web series that's now brought to network television. Yes. So Lena Waithe actually has been trying to get this show out there, I think since her 20s, and she's 35 now, but networks weren't ready for a show starring a gender non-conforming black lesbian. And so she's been working hard to find a home for it for a long time. And now it's on BET. Though with that, I think the pilot episode felt like a web series. And I'm not sure if that was intentional, or if it felt like a web series to me, 
because I knew that Lena Waithe had been trying to get it off the ground for a long time. So when you brought up that fact, it made me think of Letterkenny, another series that we reviewed, which was originally a web series and then brought, in that case, to a streaming platform. Mm Mm-hmm. In that case, I saw the transition to the bigger stage with maybe the increased budget you would get with the network. Twinnies, it felt like it still could be a web series, just really well done. It felt like when Issa Rae got money from Pharrell's production studio for season two of Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Mm -hmm. So quality, but I don't know if they expanded to what you might see on another network television series. Moving on from the production of the show, though, I did love the characters, especially Hattie's friends. Yeah, Nia and Marie were the standout characters to me. I liked their friendship and their friendship with Hattie. Although, to be honest, me too, I would not buy clothes for you if we went clothes shopping and you had no money. I would buy clothes for you if you had a job interview and no money. Good to know. Would you buy me clothes if you knew I would pay you back? If I were like, as soon as I get this job, I'll give you half the check. If you asked me or told me you would pay me back, yes. If you tried on some clothes, walked to the register and said, you got this, right? Well, that's just rude. That's what Hattie does to her friends as background, y'all, is one of them ends up paying for her pants and the other one pays for the top. If you politely asked me, I got you. If you assume I'm going to pay for your clothes, then we have a problem. You and I are both too Southern for that. But otherwise... They were fun. And I think they were also pretty realistic with Hattie, which was good. I don't like when friends on shows are blindly supporting the main character. I loved the pushback because Hattie feels to me like the Issa of Insecure, the Carrie Bradshaw of Sex and the City. She is sort of the annoying friend because you're the center of the show. You have to be a little bit annoying and attention seeking because we're focused on you. And I like that instead of going along with her ridiculous notions and hangups, they're challenging her at every turn. It felt like a really authentic friendship between all of them. They were giving real criticism about her love life, about not paying her rent, about her career choices, even to the point where they celebrate Nia's birthday. And I feel like the argument they had at the table, that felt very real. Very heavy, especially for mixed company. It wasn't just the three of them. People had guests. That too. That added to it. If I'm willing to call you out in front of my coworkers who came to my birthday party and my coworkers' partners whom they brought to my birthday party, I'm mad. <laughs> that is real anger. That's real frustration right there. And so with these friends, as well as we see Hattie's future boss, Ida B, and her mom, do you think she was able to stand out next to all of these characters around her? Lena Waithe says that she was a bit of a scrub in her 20s, trying to figure it all out. And I'm seeing that for Hattie. It feels like she's falling into the background a little bit. One, because the show, I think, focused really intensely on world building. So I understood the background of every single character, but almost too much because it came at the expense of more time to get to know and fall in love with Hattie. But two, I think she falls into the background a bit because she hasn't hit her stride yet. So Lena Waithe in her 20s interned for amazing Black women creators that I think Ida B in the show is modeled after, like Ava DuVernay and Mara Brock-Akeel. So we could see as Hattie hits her stride, as she gets her foot in the door with these Black women creators who will help put her on, 
we might see her blossom and then stick out more in the show. Mm, So this could be her upward journey that we'll have to watch. Her upward journey in her life as the character, but also for us to focus on the actor in the role. They're both moving upwards, hopefully, episode to episode. I will say I loved the scenes between Hattie and her mom because Kim Whitley is such a funny person. And then Jonica T. Gibbs, I read in a review is a stand-up comedian and you see some of that because she has that great comedic timing and their riffing off of each other was wonderful. I would also give a shout out to the production team or editor. The inclusion of Whitney Houston's Exhale and Dion Ferris's Hopeless was a little random and lasted quite a while for this short of a show, but it was nice to hear both songs. I agree. I think that's where the budget must have gone to clear those songs. Speaking of music, does Chuck, this is Marie's boyfriend, does that actor want to be a singer? Because he really did the most singing Happy Birthday. Shout out to Javon McFerrin. You did a great job singing Happy Birthday. It felt very Kyle on Living Single, a show I would recommend to every single one of our listeners. They let T.C. Carson, I should say, the actor, sing in virtually any episode that it could make any sense for Kyle to sing. And he took advantage of it every time with his golden pipes. So maybe that's what we're doing here for Chuck. Take every moment you can. So me too. What would you rate 20s on BET? I was surprised by how much I loved it. I would rate it would watch while doing work emails or folding laundry. It was so fun and light and really full of love. And I cared about all of the relationships on the show. So I think it'll be the perfect show for me to watch on Sunday evenings when I'm clearing my inbox and getting ready for the work week. I know that I'll probably put that show on. And that's what I'd recommend to our listeners to do as well. What about you, Beach? I would put this in the would watch while doing laundry or while traveling category. Save up a few episodes and watch them while I'm slightly distracted. I like seeing the friendship between Hattie, Nia, and Marie, but I can take my time to see their journey. Speaking of another person on a journey hoping to go in an upward direction, we also watched Dave on FXX. So Dave is about a character named Dave who has the rapper name Lil Dicky, and he is in his late 20s, and he really thinks that his destiny is to be one of the best rappers of all time. And he's telling all of his friends and family, this is the path for him. So we're really seeing him go on a journey where he's trying to promote his rapping career and convince everyone else to see the potential that he sees in himself. What did you think of Dave? I was surprised by how funny I found the show to be. Lil Dicky has never acted before, and he was given the opportunity to co-create a show with Jeff Schaefer from Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I think the positioning of the show is interesting because it's basically Lil Dicky like 10 years ago, or even more recent than that, where he's right in that post millions of views on YouTube. So you've gained notoriety, but you can't monetize the videos because you're rapping over other people's songs, which is very common. You make remixes of songs to get attention, but it's right before he gained fame and fortune. And he's worked with artists like Snoop Dogg, Fetty Wap, T-Pain, and his breakout song, I believe, was with Chris Brown. It's an interesting intersection to catch his life where he's famous but has not a lot to show for it. The pivot point where 
things seem to just start working out for him. And now we'll see an interpretation of that journey. And I have to agree, it was funnier than I was expecting. I went into this thinking I would not like the comedy and humor. Me too. I assumed you would hate it. But for some reason, the interactions with his girlfriend and his roommate, even a scene with his doctor, I thought that that was amusing. (laughs) Not funny, but amusing. (laughs) It kept my attention. I would also like to give a special shout out to his childhood friend on the show, who's also a sound engineer, who is played by Odd Futures Els, who is played by Odd Futures Taco Bennett. He is very funny on the show. And I hope we get to see more of Taco because... Listeners, there was a little show called Loiter Squad, which featured Odd Future. Couldn't more strongly recommend. Very funny, ridiculous hijinks. And it's cool to see Taco in a fictional role versus playing an exaggerated version of himself on Loiter Squad. What'd you think of the other relationships? He makes a new friend, Gaeta, in this first episode, another rapper. He has his roommate, Mike, his girlfriend, Allie. And we also see a conversation with his parents. The dynamic between him and his roommate, Mike, played by Andrew Santino, was really interesting because Mike is a day trader. And then Allie, played by Taylor Misiak, is a kindergarten teacher. So he has the very ridiculous job in between those two very run-of-the-mill jobs, if you will. And that dynamic between them is fun, where you see them eating food at the end of the day and sharing about how their days went. Allie talks about the kids and the assignments that they turned in. Mike talks about his job and the stocks and whatever. And little Dickie talks about Twitter and potentially going to see YG and trying to get on a song with him. That's a funny dynamic to witness. And then I hope we get to see more of Gaeta. Gaeta is someone that Lil Dickie connects with in this first episode who hooks him up with YG's manager despite both Lil Dickie and Gaeta not having much pool. Gaeta at least had YG's manager's phone number. And second phone number. And second phone number. And their dynamic was really funny. There's a scene where Lil Dicky runs up on Gaeta after being sort of played by YG's manager. And Gaeta is just box braiding his mom's hair. And it's one of the most wonderful things I've seen. What a love for your mother to box braid hair. That takes hours. I did think that the relationships were really great. And I think that's where a lot of the humor came from. How the people in the world of this show see Dave as Lil Dicky, an aspiring rapper. Including his parents. Including his parents. The reactions they give him, the facial expressions they get when they hear his dreams all priceless. It's like if your close friend told you they wanted to be a rapper. That's how he's being regarded. So that's the nice level of realism that they're bringing into the show. Where do you see future episodes going? In this first one, it was all about trying to collaborate with YG. Do you think there will be future guest rappers? Do you think it'll be more about Lil Dicky as an independent career? I assume Lil Dicky's Rolodex of rappers is very deep. And so I assume there could be something fun like a rapper of the week on this show, like the league would have episodes featuring random athletes. It was a show about fantasy football, actually on FX and featured some of the athletes that they would talk to each other about. I could see Lil Dicky being able to pull a similar move and bring different artists to the show. That could be fun. I think so. So me too. What would you rate Dave on FXX? Would catch it when it's on. 
if it's on TV while you're scrolling channels, or if you have 20 minutes to kill and it comes up on your recommended if you're on FX or FXX streaming, check it out. It's funny, so you'll be entertained for 30 minutes, but I don't think it's something I will seek out. I have a similar rating. I would say would watch again while traveling. This is a good show you can download onto your phone or your tablet before a flight, just so you have something you can watch or check out an episode while waiting for your plane to arrive. I agree. It's the perfect travel show. There you go. If you want to find out more shows that are good for travel or when you're at home or when you're really anywhere else, head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com and remember to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. We also have additional premium content where we take a deep dive into the pilot episode of a single show and spend 15 to 25 minutes really discussing what a show is all about. And you can find the Pilot Podcast Deep Dive by heading to join.thepilotpodcast.com. On the deep dive, we've reviewed Apple TV's C, Hulu's High Fidelity, and even Disney's DuckTales. So check us out at join.thepilotpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, your favorite dance moves that you like to do on the street with Yetis to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.